Blog Talk Radio.
And joining us from the great state of Louisiana is, <laughs> that's okay, Mr. Warren, who works very, very much involved, engaged in mobilizing electoral processes and uh, a lot of things to do with uh, in the community. Uh, Mr. Warren, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Well, good morning. I'm here at the auto dealership getting my oil changed, and so I'm outside under the patio. So I'll, I'll, what I'll be okay. doing is mute, muting. I'll be muting my mic so you don't get any feedback. And then, I'm, I'm, and luckily now nobody's around me, so I can kind of talk and say things openly without you know having problems with people listening. So I'm here. I'm here in the house, calling okay. from New Orleans. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. New Orleans, Louisiana, thanks. And we're also glad to have Rodney with us, although a lot of people have got things going around them here, Dr. Patrick, everybody. Raymond, let me begin by asking you this. Uh, Like I've said, and everybody knows, the whole world is captivated by this election not being called. I want you to do a simple thing for us. There's something unique, Roger, and everybody listening to this about the way the American electoral system is structured. So, Redmond, I want you to break it down for us. How is the American electoral system structured? Sure. Well, um, interesting enough, uh, uh, you start off with somebody from Iowa uh, because uh, (laughs) a lot of this starts off, (laughs) a lot of this starts off, with uh, the primary process, and uh, a lot of it starts off in Iowa. Uh, so in Iowa, we have a what we call a caucus system. Uh, it's a little different uh, than most primary systems, where um, instead of uh, just taking a vote, you actually squeeze everybody in, in, in various districts into a room, and then you start a negotiation mm-hmm. process. And I participated in it this year. Uh, this year. Um, I'm happy to say that I was a supporter of Joe Biden, and he, he, he managed to make it through the primary system, which wasn't very easy, uh, this go-around. But um, when you're in this room, you, you, you basically mm-hmm. negotiate with each other to try and get people to come across uh, to your candidate. And... Um, Interesting enough, Joe Biden wasn't a viable candidate in my particular district. Uh, so uh, I wind up getting convinced to go over to Amy Kromachar, uh, uh area, and then my vote was actually counted there. Uh, but with, with that oh. being said, um, Joe Biden made it through a very um, um, competitive primary system, and it really came down to uh, North Carolina, uh, where – if, if you followed it, he was really on the brink of bailing out. Uh, and it was the majority African-American uh, voters in uh, North Carolina that saved his candidacy. Um, after that, it's pretty well documented. He went on uh, to build steam and become the nominee for the Democratic Party. So right now we're at a two-party system, Democrats and Republicans. You can run as an independent, but they're typically not well-supported, and the system is kind of focused on uh, two-party systems. So it's very rare. I think we had um, 
it maybe uh, Ross Perot, that was an independent mm-hmm. candidate that gave he gave a good run. I think he might have got something around fifteen to twenty percent of the vote. So even that, a successful third party candidate as he was, he he was nowhere close to really being viable. So really, the third party independent candidates are really set up to be spoilers because they can't take enough <laughs> votes away, right? Um, so, so that's really where the, the, the third-party system falls in our system. Uh, so it really comes to they're a very interesting group because um, they're facing uh, a, a demographic. America is becoming more and more brown with more immigration and more um, mixing uh, in, in races and, and, and um, all of this melting pot is really starting to take an effect on their basic um, their basic party. Uh, so they they really haven't done a very good job with reaching out to uh, minority um, voters and new voters. However, uh, I think they do do a good job in persuading just enough so that the right at this time overwhelming minority uh, various voters haven't been able to to coalesce to a, to create a a very strong coalition. So there's all that kind of going on behind the scenes. When you look at these these um, results, there's all these other type of um, politics and and um, various groups that certain parties are focusing on that actually generate um, some of the, the the reasoning why these races are so close. So. Well, now that we, uh, we got that kind of background, um, we get into the actual various 50 states, and each state is different, uh, and that's where you get these different results. Okay, okay. That's what I want you to break down, because here, here is the point, Redmond, that a lot of people uh, on this part of the world may not understand. I don't know how it is in Canada. I'll give you an example. Like in Zambia, or probably most of the world out there, they've got an electoral system which is managed from what is equivalent to the Washington, D.C. here. We have an electoral commission, E.C. Electoral Commission of Zambia. It's, 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 it comes in from the city headquarters of the nation and then goes out into the country to conduct elections. I don't think that's the situation here. That's am I right? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we have kind of a well, a three-tier system that is typically uh-huh. mirrored by lower forms of government. So we we have our executive branch, our judicial mm-hmm. branch, and our our a legislative branch. So the president, he's over the executive branch, and. If you take a, a, a state government, the governor is kind of the, the mm-hmm. uh, executive branch head. And then you have in the legislative branch, you usually have two houses, which we call the uh, the Senate and the Congress. Yeah. And then, and then in the judicial branch, you have a Supreme Court. And sometimes you have, you have mm-hmm. a state Supreme Court. But then you also have the U.S. federal government Supreme Court. So there's a there's there's the federal system, 
and then there's the mirror of the of the federal system in the state system. And like I said, we have 50 different states, different state supreme courts, and then 50 different governors and 50 different houses of of, of the people or, or house of representatives, and then you have 50 different state senates. Uh, all of them bubble up with representatives that then are reflected on the federal uh, system where you have the same House of Representatives, Senate, the president and the executive branch, which have all the different departments, including the military, and then you have the Supreme Court, uh, which they have, you know, a small amount of, of clerks and, and um, U.S. marshals that help them affect the laws that they review. So, so you have okay. that kind of system throughout the United States, and then you, you even have little local versions uh, in local government where you have um, folk where uh, your city manager or city administrator, and we're kind of focused for the day-to-day activities, the executive activities. But then we have our policy bodies, which are city councils, and city councils have their head, which is like the mayor or or um, um, they, they call them various different names. Most of the time, they're council persons and, and, and mayors. Sometimes they're, they're ward heads or council of presidents, president of councils. So mm-hmm. you have all those, but it yeah. really is reflected of that overall system of those three branches. Mm. Okay. Mr. Warren, to you, somebody um, is, is looking at this, is looking into this. I mean, even here in the United States, you you are saying to yourself, somebody saying to themselves, what is happening in, in uh, let's take Georgia, for example. Why are they having a runoff? And suddenly there's an announcement that they will have a recount. You, you, you tend to get this impression that Georgia, for example, has got its own system. Could you help us understand that? What's going on in Georgia? That, that question is to me. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I live in Louisiana, but from what I understand in Georgia is that if the if the count is so close, you do a, a automatic recount. I think what they're doing in Georgia. But if if you've been listening to the uh, status of recounts, they say generally recounts generally don't produce any real different result, a change in in, in what the initial count was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to okay. I wanted to add to what the, I wanted to I wanted to add to what the young man yeah, was saying ahead. about the, the the system political system here and the and the parties. Now, I I of course I voted the uh, the Biden Harris ticket, but for the last fifteen years prior to this particular election, I tended to have been one of those who would support a third party candidate like the Green Party, so on and so forth. If you follow an online journal called Black Agenda Report, it's an excellent critique of the American political system and the African-American electoral uh, politicians. Uh, they, 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 the analysis is from what is called a black left. They do a very fine job of critiquing what they call the duopoly, that the Republican and the Democratic Party are basically both sponsored by what they call the donor class. That's the corporate structure in America. So behind the political parties is big money. And so when we talk mm-hmm. about policy, 
We talk about policies that are being fostered, policies that one party may renege on at a certain time. Then you have to look at the interests of big money, uh, lobby groups. So we have, for example, the banking industry. That's a that's a, a click. Then we have what we call uh, defense contractors, pharmaceutical. We have agribusiness, big tech. All of these industries that are like the 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 hierarchies of what we call American capitalism. They own government. This is the perspective of many people who analyze American politics, that politics is not independent of big money. And so the, De- the Democratic Party, so, so the, the, the young man was talking about the challenges that the Republican Party has, but the challenge that the Demo- Democratic Party has is that it appears it has moved further away from much of its mission from the 1940s, 50s, 60s and 70s, the concern with the working class person and uh, with, with, labor un- with labor unions, it seemed to have moved what we call from center or left of center to right of center, which we would have seen the evolution of that under Bill Clinton and Al Gore with their creation of the Democratic Leadership Conference. Now, what was the point of that conference? To kind of Move the Democratic Party from being held hostage by black voters with civil rights demands and move it slightly mm-hmm. to the right a little bit. Okay. Now, this has been going on since then. Even Obama, if you remember when Obama was president, he made a lot of uh, references to Ronald Reagan as the great communicator and all this kind of stuff. So, as I shut up right now, is that when we look at this political structure, we have to look at the wealth that backs up the parties. So the term is duopoly. America is ruled by a duopoly, a two-party system. A third party at this point doesn't have a chance because it doesn't have big money invested in it to reach the people. Okay. Okay. Now, the other thing I want us to zero in here, I, I don't know who, who's going to take this one, Dr. Patrick, Mr. Warren, or Redmond yourself. At what, what, how did the Democratic Party get to that point where it had, we see this claim, uh, this claim or entitlement towards the black vote. What happened there? How did it get to that point? Is that, that's addressed to me or the other gentleman no. from, uh, from Well, I think you want you, to. You can... oh, oh, okay. So you want me to take that one? <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay. I'll, I'll let you. Oh, all right, I'll let, let you start let me, off. Okay. Good. Good. Well, <clears throat> let's let's go back to the. Uh, active phases of what we call the freedom movement. They call it the civil rights movement today, but back then we call it the freedom movement. When Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther mm-hmm. King was uh, was arrested in 1960 in Atlanta luncheon counter. He, he was part of a, trying to desegregate the lunch counter in Atlanta. He got arrested. That was a presidential election year. It was Nixon and Kennedy running. Nixon and Republican, Kennedy Democrat. The Republican advisors told Nixon, why don't you go and try to get involved with the situation where, Kenneth, where, where King is arrested? Nixon said, no, I'm not going to do that because that's going to be showboating. 
Well, Kennedy made a call, uh, as I understand it, and, and that, you know, and because you got to understand at, at this point, there were a lot of blacks still voting Republican since the party of Lincoln. Even my family here in Louisiana had been Republican uh, Reconstruction politicians and they voted Republican. So there was still an element of blacks voting Republican in the 50s and 60s. It, it began to change when FDR had his Great Society programs. But the point is, when Martin Luther King's father was one of the black Republican voters, but when Kennedy made the call to help King get released from jail, uh-huh. Martin Luther King's father endorsed Kennedy because now what you begin to see was somebody at the executive level was taking a humane interest in the concerns of black as relates to civil rights. Okay, so now we get the intervention of the federal government to try to protect protesters. There's debates on that, but still you have the executive branch is Kennedy with his brother, who's the uh, attorney general, of getting involved with overseeing the protection. Okay, okay, overseeing the protection. Okay, thank you. Uh, no, no, they, they have, yeah, they just completed my car. I, mean, I was at the office so they just completed it. So let me finish my point. Uh, so here you get okay. the executive branch is getting involved with uh, overseeing protection of protesters. Well, now black people are seeing okay. that they might have a friend in the White House. So then you get Johnson, you get the signing of the Civil Rights Bill, the Voting Rights Act, you get the nomination of the first black Supreme Court justice, you get black participation in electoral politics swells throughout the South and in the Midwest. And so now the Democratic Party, in terms of participating in the electoral process, mm. becomes our home. Therefore, okay. the, the, Democrats, the Democrats don't have to recruit us the way the Republicans had tried to, have to try to now. So that's where that comes from. It takes us for granted, as it is said, because we naturally see the Democratic Party as someone, as, a, as an entity that is uh, a little bit more humane to us. But the Republican Party has almost been successful this time in picking off disgruntled black voters and creating mm-hmm. a type of uh, a cause called angry black men for Trump, this whole kind of thing. And I'm going to say this and be quiet. If the Democrats do not do a better job of reaching out to the newer generations, because this is the key. You have two or three generations who have not lived under American apartheid. Okay. And so unless the Democratic Party do a, a better job of reaching out to this new generation of young people, you see the next four years, I don't know if the Democrats will make it again in the White House. Because the Republicans have invested in recruiting. Yes. Now, you just led us into my next point. Dr. Patrick, are you there? I want you to address this. Dr. Patrick? Okay. You see, you, you just got into something that I want us to address. Dr. Patrick, whenever you are ready to speak, you can come up. Redmond this time around, as Mr. Warren has said, we are not seeing that wave that we saw in 2008 and 2012 with Obama concerning the black vote, even the Latino 
this time around, what is happening? Could you address that? What is happening here? Well, well, I think now I, I, I'm going to say my opinion is is, is I've heard that uh, argument, and it's uh, I think it's a bit overgeneralized. And the reason I say this is uh-huh. Obama was a absolutely transformable candidate. I mean, in 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 that way, I mean the first. Real, I mean, we we had some some black candidates before, like Jesse Jackson, that that had some uh-huh. success. But Obama was the first real um, competitive black candidate that that if you remember he had what they called the fifty state strategy, which really wasn't okay. the way to go at that time. Everybody was focused on like the the southern strategy or or breaking off various blocks to try and get to, to get the traction to get the, the, the national delegate vote. But Obama actually mm. spent a lot of time. He got a lot of energy, and the reason he overcame um, Hillary Clinton was because he had such a foundation of infrastructure of people who believed in the concept that Obama was pushing, the concept of hope and unity where in, in in most cases the typical strategy was to divide, much like Trump's strategy, which, by the way, is mm-hmm. almost, I mean, I, I think he's not going to, to prevail, but, but he's been extremely competitive, as we can all see. So the strategy of yes. dividing is a strategy that can work. So, you know, as much as we don't like it, it is the true fact that, Divide and conquer still works today. But Obama was able mm. to pull together, and everybody thought it wasn't going to work. It was like this, it's, they were like, it's naive to, to try to, to do a 50-state strategy. But he actually pulled it off. And what, what, what that created, huge um, support base of um, the African-American vote, the Latino vote, those, those groups. Well, probably maybe the first time I would argue. I mean, there's there's been the civil rights movie. You can make these arguments. There's times in American history where we had that kind of coalesce. But I think Obama made it political, um, and he made it he made it work, and and probably did mm-hmm. it in in a way that we haven't seen before. And trying to reproduce that. Um, I don't know if it can. I mean, I think it, I think it can. I think Biden has created something different uh, by being able mm-hmm. to reach back to uh, disenfranchised white workers um, and bringing that together with with the respect that African Americans have because he was part of the Obama coalition. So he's brought that in, and I think the Latino uh, vote, which everyone's making a lot of. First of all, we have to remember we have more Latinos than just Florida, South Florida, and South Texas. Um, yes, and, yes. <laughs> and I think we forget that. And and honestly, you look at um, the strength of the Puerto Rican uh, vote, and I think the uh, Southwest vote is going to, to, to cash in and put uh, Biden over the top in Arizona and in, in Nevada, I think we lose track of that because we, we focus on Florida, which would have been a great knockout blow, but if he really paid attention, he really wasn't going after Florida. Florida would have been nice. Texas mm-hmm. would have been nice. 
But that wasn't his goal. And you could tell that by his choice of vice president because you had you definitely had Val Demings in Florida. If he was going to make a play on Florida, he would have probably picked Val mm-hmm. Demings for his vice president candidate in Florida. If he was no, really okay. going to make a okay. play in Georgia, he probably would have picked Stacey mm-hmm. Abrams. He picked somebody from a yeah. very safe, you know, if you look at it, he picked someone from a very safe California district, which the Democrats already have, which means he was going after something different. And I think it's clear now that he was trying to reset up what they call the blue wall, which is Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, and, and Pennsylvania. That's where he focused on. And I think that was his. I just. That he has pulled it off. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And I just caution the rest of the world, when we look back in history and we look at what Obama did, we just have to remember he was such a transformative uh, a character uh, that just mm-hmm. came at the right time. I don't even know if Obama ran now. I don't know how successful he would be because we've changed in so many different ways. <laughs> now that we have, you, so you, you know, Absolutely, and I yeah, I, I, I talked to my. What you are saying, yeah. What you are saying, Redmond, takes me to the next point. Dr. Patrick Roger, the one of you can address this. I mean, I'm saying to myself, of course, the Latino community is diverse. Like Redmond has said, we have uh, um, Latinos uh, from different uh, communities or countries, if you may wish to say. This man is descending on an escalator. And he says rapists, (laughs) drug dealers, and but he still attracts quite a great, quite a good um, percentage of these people. Roger, is it because this is what has been going through my mind, Redmond? (laughs) Is it because he was specific and he said Mexicans? He didn't say Latino. Is he making strides, Roger, because the Latino community feels? feels like, well, he said Mexicans. He didn't say Spanish or Latino people. I don't know what you think. Well, um, yeah. what the, uh, what other people are saying, uh, they are picking out some elements of, of Trump, which he presents them. Uh, for instance, uh, Trump has become... In, in the in, in the Christian world, in the evangelical world, the savior, the person who would stand up to the people who want to take their Christian values away from them, and Trump is that person who, who is uh, defending those values. They so they say to those people, mm. Nathan, nothing you are going to tell them will change. We're going to tell them about Trump and the, and the women, Trump and the corruption, Trump and the Russian. Yeah. They will not listen. There is this one item they, they've gone to. In South Florida, the Latinos from Cuba, the Trump people went very hard on socialism. And those people, Nathan, uh, in my view, they have not forgotten what uh, Biden and Obama did, trying to um, a restore normalized relationship, relationship with Cuba. Cuba. Hmm. Y- yes. So 
anything else to some people, it does not matter. There is just one item they have picked, and they will stay on that. On that. So, yes, to, to a lot of us, and I thank, uh, thank God, uh, brothers in Detroit, they, 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 they delivered big uh, driver, uh, brothers in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, they've delivered big. Uh, in Atlanta, they've delivered big. We have been beaten down by Trump. Yes, there are elements mm. here and there. No, we have not been swayed. As black people, some of us who are Africans, black people, those who are in America, have not been persuaded by all these small, uh, I don't know what we call them, sweets, uh, chocolates, whatever. We were not persuaded. We came strong, and we are removing him out of power. You, you know, mm. to add to that, and I, I totally agree, there's something else going on here in, in, in America, and they call it tribalism. Mm. I mean, there is pockets and groups of people who do not vote their interests. So I'm in Iowa, okay. and I have seen firsthand what the Trump's trade war with China has done to the agriculture system here in exactly. Iowa. And it is, exactly. it is hurt. It has hurt huge uh, farmers. Farmers who have been mm. super successful for many years were on the brink of losing their farms, who have been in their, their families for, for generations. And yet, and yet, he was able to win Iowa, which actually kind of surprised exactly. me, but That's he was able to right win there. Iowa. So uh, mm-hmm. you, you, we have, and I think the only reason that is is because folks have gotten so um, so in a tribal mode that they, they support yes. this group, even yes. if it doesn't help them, even if at, at, yes. the, at the end of the day it hurts their, their own families. Yes. They are picking and, and, and choosing policies that does not make sense for them. Yes. And, and a lot of it is... I don't do that, brother. This is why, to, to me, the Trump loss is, is, is big, is huge, is delicious, is, is nice. Because to those people you are talking about, uh, at one point, and I think with their tribalism, they felt that Trump is the savior of the white race. Is here to save the white race. And yet now they are beaten. They are beaten. They may just start to think, maybe, just maybe, we need to partner with people who don't look, who don't look like us like. for the betterment of ourselves. Yeah and to move the country forward. If they had won, if they had won, these people would have thought mm-hmm. it is now on a, a, we'll forever rule this country. No one should, should, should touch us. But they've been taught a lesson, and I'm so glad about it. My, my, uh, next, yeah, my next something. point is... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to add something. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I had to talk. And, and yeah, you, I, I had to hang up and you, go talk you to the service guy, up. but I, That's yeah, okay. I wanted you to address. You can say what you. Mm. Go ahead, go yeah. ahead. Okay, yeah, I want to address the Obama phenomena, if you will. Now, Black Agenda Report, which is the online journal for Black political thought and action, uh, edited by Glenn Ford, 
throughout the Obama presidency, they were critical of the Obama presidency because, again, they were they were coming from the black left perspective. They were not promoting Republican or Democrat. Now, let's look at the contrast in how Obama presented himself and Trump. Trump, well, where I, where I believe Trump has been brilliant, that is going to be something that the Democrats are going to have to look at, is he spoke to his base unapologetically. Mm. Obama had to do things like chastise black people. He had to kind of show whites he, he couldn't, that, that he wasn't going to always be on black people's side. And he also, by chastising black people, being a responsible father, kind of played into stereotypes. In other words, he walked the tight rope. He had to give an image that he could be tough, even with black people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of black people were rubbed the wrong way by that. Now, if you look at the Trump supporters, oh, he stuck by them all the way. See, these are things that people look at in candidates. Now, so he was a Obama was a charismatic figure. People people do love him, and most black people uh, do love him. But those were some themes mm. where people saw saw through the game of when you're at the highest part of power, you really, it, it, they call that the politics of respectability. You know what I'm saying? Where, you know, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you have to show, you have to show whites you can, you know, be as much like them in terms of thinking uh, and, you know, kind of almost be polished, if you will. You know, we kind of have played that for so long. So, so all I'm saying is a lot of people, were rubbed the wrong way by that. And then they felt at the end of the day, the African-American electorate had made no gains mm. economically, so on and so forth. That, that's a perspective. That's a perspective. That's okay. all. On the yeah, Latino yeah, vote, yeah, we know yeah. the Latino... Yeah. Yeah. Right. We know the Latino demographic right. is diverse. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's why my question was, do the Latinos think that since coming down the escalator, Trump was specific, he said Mexico. Okay, let's leave that alone. I want to throw this to you, Mr. Warren, and anyone of you can come in. Dr. Patrick, if you are there, you can jump in. Did the Democrats fail to shake off the socialist stigma in Florida? Is that what the Mm. problem was, Mr. Warren? In Florida, you have, uh, again, a large Cuban exile population. The initial Cuban exile population in the late 50s and early 60s were white Cubans who owned property and who were the middle class. Those people would be in their late 70s, early 80s, early 90s if they're still living. Their children either were born there or came here as a kid or born here. Now, my point is that those people are still angry about their property being confiscated. Nicaraguans, by Nicaraguan, okay. by, okay. The Castro, by the Castro government. Okay? Which was a socialist so, system. Right. These people were, these, these first wave of Cuban exiles were the middle class. They were the middle and the upper class. 
And, of course, their mm-hmm. children who probably were kids when they came here or born here were, of course, taught that sentiment. And then you have the situation in Nicaragua where you had the uh, socialist government there and then you had Venezuela. Okay, so we have to look at that angle of those people's perspective as it relates to uh, Trump, because Trump was hard on Cuba and Venezuela. He was hard. In fact, Western Union, you can't send any more money to Cuba because the Western Union service has been shut down. So uh, I don't think with that, there was a no-win situation with that, in my opinion, with the Democrats. It was a no-win situation with that. Okay. The socialists, the socialists, The, the socialist stick comes from the fact that you do have in the Democratic Party, uh, you have a leftist lean like the squad, okay? You know, and I'm and I'm I'm more inclined to 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 to, to think that way. I'm more inclined to think that way. But you do have that uh, more leftist element in the Democratic Party that the Republican Party don't have. The Republican Party have the more extreme right elements, okay? And so. They used the socialist thing as they did in the 1950s with, with, with communism. That was a big thing in the 50s, calling somebody a communist. And all they did was warm that soup mm-hmm. all up over again, you know, to incite in fear. So I don't think okay. the Democrats. Uh, I, I don't think the Democrats could have done much, in my opinion, on persuading the the large. Uh, Cuban American voters, and then your Nicaraguan, and then however Florida. amount of oh, okay. Venezuelans you had there. I, I would add to that, 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 that it doesn't. Just, just hold on, Redmond. The reason I wanted to raise that point is that remember we're dealing with an audience here who are listening to us outside the borders of the U.S. and I want everybody listening to understand those dynamics affecting these elections and the uniqueness of the American electoral system. Alan, you wanted to say something before we address Biden's candidacy? Um, yes. I wanted to make a comment on the, the Cuban-Americans uh, issue. Obviously, I live in Tampa, and I've got okay. uh, quite a few Cubans that we are friendly with, and I've traveled to Cuba myself. You see, the, I think there's something more at play than just the fact that... Um, they didn't really, or they are so scared of uh, the socialist situation. Because I think it's, it's also a question of habit. Because the Cubans were very happy with Obama over opening their able to travel to Cuba, to go and see their families, to go and do. Every time we traveled to Cuba, we went with staff, guys we went with, took to their uncles, and they saw the situation that their, their people lived in. So that aspect, for that aspect, you would have thought, if it was Obama himself, they would be a little what is the expression of gratitude towards him. They really did appreciate that fact. And it kind of annoys them. And it annoys a lot of people that Trump has um, cut that off. But I think the religious angle plays a bigger factor in their decision as to who they vote for this time around. Um, I think okay. they have underestimated the, the, what the, the evangelical influence, especially the white evangelical churches where a lot of our Latinos find themselves going to. Um, that influence mm. pounded into whether it's on a prayer meeting, whether it's on the pulpit, you know, and, and if you have anything to say that's positive toward Obama, it's, it's as if you have your own around with four hands on your head. So the, the cultural aspect more than the economic aspect, I think is what um, played a huge uh, role. 
you know, cultural and religious aspects in the, in the Latino board, especially okay. the, when it comes mm. to South Florida. All right. Okay. Okay. But now, two more questions, and we end this, and we go to open forum on top of the hour. Everybody, let's go back in. Roger's got a different approach and angle to this issue. Redmond, to you, okay? After Redmond addresses this next question, you can all jump in. No COVID, Biden didn't have a chance against uh, Trump. Your thoughts, Redmond? Well, I didn't hear the question again. Could you just say it one more time? No COVID, without a COVID pandemic crisis, Ah. Biden didn't have a chance against Trump. Uh, I just see that I just see that argument, uh, but to, to be honest, um, going mm-hmm. into going into the year before COVID became an issue, like I said, I I had yes. caucus for Biden. I think um, for for us, it could have been. I mean, for Iowans at the time, the trade the trade war was was having very strong um, economic impact. That I think could have been uh, could have been showcased. I don't believe um, I don't believe that Trump is responsible for the positive things happening in the economy. Uh, I think that was a, le- a leftover mm-hmm. from Obama's um, economic policies, and he just picked up on the, the growth pattern. But if you really looked at the growth, it had actually slowed down. Mm-hmm. And Trump had done a number of superficial economic things with the tax cut, which wasn't really a tax cut for for middle Americans. And uh, in the later years, those tax those tax benefits uh, were were dissipating, and I think more people would have become more aware. I was one of those middle middle class Americans that actually my rates went up, so I was mad from from day one uh, because. He had changed the tax code that took all my 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 uh, uh, my dependents away from me, and 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 my deductions mm. went out the window. So I, I wind up paying like eight thousand dollars more than I normally would. So I was I was definitely not oh, a supporter wow. of the tax cut. Yeah. Okay. So uh, okay. So for you, that was not uh, you were not in support of that, uh, Mr. Warren. No COVID pandemic. Biden didn't have a chance. I'm gonna go down the line. Everybody, Nyambe. Roger, everybody get ready to respond to this question. No COVID, Biden didn't have a chance. Mr. Warren. Yeah, I would have to agree that without the uh, pandemic, I, I don't think Biden uh, would have had a chance because the COVID has been a real, real issue in people's lives. And the way that the president handled it, his response to it, dismissal of it, trivializing it, I think they angered a mm-hmm. lot of people uh, on side. So if there was no COVID, I, I think Trump would would, would be uh, would, would have won by a landslide because he was just that popular um, uh, by his 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 base there. That's 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 how I see it there. Okay, Rodney, I know you're just listening very quickly. If you can throw in thirty seconds, forty seconds. No COVID, Biden didn't have a chance. Rodney. Yes, sir. Okay. I, uh, I was trying. Um, yeah. Okay. I was just yeah. listening. Uh, uh, great job, Mr. Jones no, and other uh, <laughs> panelists. 
This is the guy just when he was nominated, when everyone thought with um, the Hollywood video, this guy is going to go. For some reason, he survived it. So this, is, this guy is a survivor. Even this uh, COVID, he could have easily, easily survived it, in my view. But the radioactiveness, he, the, the stress he brought into a lot of homes, that one was a killer to a lot of people. We, I, we could be wrong, but the, um, if it was a positive thing, the, the COVID thing would have been the icing on the cake. But he was, I think, on the verge of losing his job. COVID or no COVID. Um, maybe we would have needed more work uh, without COVID, but COVID helped a little bit. But the guy was just bad for America. That's, that, that's what, well, what, what I, will, I would say. I, I just wanted to add to that because there, there's an a, a absolute management theory uh, called chaos theory, and I think Trump has been masterful by, by basically – administering through chaos and yes. and with the mm. change of all his cabinet positions it is clear mm-hmm. that he does that on purpose and honestly in a normal presidency if if there was a story that came out that russia was putting bounties on american soldiers exactly. and the president wasn't doing anything about it that by itself would, would have ended the presidency for like a president yes. like H.W. Bush yes. or, or yes. anyone else. But since yes. he is able to constantly throw its biggest, grievous issues back to back to back to back, he's been able to get away with that. And the, the yes. unique thing with COVID is that he just hadn't, he wasn't able to put it away with something bigger <laughs> of a travesty. That's the only reason. That's so in a way, you can say, yes, COVID is the reason. But in the other uh-huh. way, it's all the other hundred things that happened before COVID that's just yeah. as a reason, but the media could not focus on it. I agree with that. I agree with that as well. I agree with that. Because COVID, uh, I'm one of those people, my brother, who believes this guy didn't even have COVID. You know, when he lied, he yeah. had COVID, he went to the hospital. He just lost. He just lost the, the debate, the, the and he debate. had to change the narrative right there. I'm getting sick. But that's what Today I mean by COVID me to the hospital. Two, three days, he was back. That was a lie, in my yeah. view. <laughs> right. Okay, Roger, can you wind us off what is coming up in the next segment? Uh, we are that. continuing with uh, the election in the, in the, in the, next, uh, in the next segment, and we are asking uh, the black vote was huge, mm. was delivered. Now, this time, we need to make demands with the Democrats. They have to put something tangible on the table. That is... Uh, on our next hour. Please uh, call back as we uh, 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 drop here uh, in our next seg- segment. We are looking at the black Excellent. vote. Uh, what are we Excellent. going to uh, benefit from, from that? Excellent. Well, Mr. Warren, thank you for taking the time. Redmond, please don't be a stranger. would love to have you frequently here. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for having me. I love it. Excellent, excellent. Well, everybody, that was our show for today. What happened to democracy? We're just trying to understand the, the events leading up to this election. And uh, thanks to Mr. Redmond Jones, Mr. Warren, everybody who's participated for your input and invoice. 
Let's go back in as we continue the discussion. Mama, 